This is Idle Inspiration, the show about finding our next favorite role-playing game or building it. My name is Caleb. And I'm not David. He's not David. But I'm Josh. <laughs> Today we have uh, my good friend Josh Lang here to uh, talk role-playing games. So, uh, David, this, this podcast is incredibly sporadic, uh, partially because... Okay, it's mainly David's fault. And I always just blame David for it. He's a busy guy. He has, he's got stuff to do. He's got a daughter. He's got a wife. Uh, and so we we ended up we end up doing it every once in a while uh, when I feel like I can impress upon David that it's time to do another episode. But I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I want to talk more about role playing games. Let's just let's do some more episodes with other people. So uh, Josh happened to be pretty free this kind of extended weekend here, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk um role-playing games and josh pitched the idea of talking about characters today so i think we'll talk about um right uh the sort of character like we can do a little bit of like talk through characters that we played in the past and like why we made the characters the way the way they were um our methods of making characters uh and like why uh how how we work out a personality or a voice and those sorts of things and uh, then we can talk about the gm side of it um because i very rarely get to play a character uh so yep um uh i mean i i make plenty of npcs so there's definitely like um crossover yep. there but we, we, we can talk about uh kind of the difference between do uh, from the from a gm side uh dealing with char player characters and making npcs and stuff uh so to start it off oh i guess real quick josh who who are you for the listeners at home who may not know anything and you can tell as much or a little as little as you want about who you are and what you do on the internet yes i i am a completely random chap from australia yes uh, essentially i i've been playing That's actually how i introduce him to all my friends <laughs> yep absolutely no i uh, i was on the Blimey Cow uh, community. Yeah, and, that's what it was. Um, met Emily through that. Yep. And then Emily she Valdez of uh, Terra and Terra Nullius fame. Yep. Uh, she told me about the D&D &D and then I promptly watched pretty much every campaign that you own. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, I think I got through Terra Nullius in about two months. Um, essentially, I, I, I mow lawns for a living. Uh, which gives me about eight hours a day where I'm literally doing nothing other than uh, doing the endless treadmill, yep. uh, as I call it. And so I listen to a lot of D&D stuff and play as much as I can get my hands on, uh, usually as DM. But I have had slightly more opportunity to be a player than I think Caleb has. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, but the, the easiest part was I, I just keep roping in my players into running one shots every periodically yeah uh it's probably the easiest way <laughs> also mm -hmm. the way i get to try out new systems is roping them into um dming the system learning the system because <laughs> yep. it's like much much less imposing to learn a system for a one shot than it is for an yes. extended campaign yep yep very true yeah, I cool. do usually end up knowing the system better than they do before yes. we actually play. But I, I do know this about the you. Uh, probably the like the first real interaction I had with Josh Lang was like him commenting on the Terranolius videos and be like, "You did this real wrong," and I'm like, "Yep, we definitely yep. did." <laughs> yep, I, I'm a very I'm a logic brain and yep. I like procedures, and so, so working out the rules to a system is definitely one of my 
yeah. one of the things I'm good at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's uh, funny because like I'm them. I'm definitely like a very uh, rules oriented person too. Specifically, like for games, I love taking apart games and figuring out how they work and why they work. But I feel like I definitely I do definitely do come at it from a different angle than you do, right? Like it it's a it's I like how things work, but I think I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like I'm more apt to ignore rules than you are, uh, because it coheres in my brain better. Where I'm just like. I just delete it. I just delete a rule from my brain because I'm like that doesn't make any sense. Like I, I'm making up my own. <laughs> like I, I still yeah. love like learning how the system, and, and I try to be. Typically, I try to be as r- rules as written as possible. But there are certain times where I like it just doesn't click for me, and I'm like, let's or like I'm, I'm reading. I think what it is is I'm reading the rule differently than you are. Like I'm not in- intentionally missing, like intentionally changing it, but I'm like interpreting it differently because of the way our brains work. And so there's been multiple times where I'm just like, I am not seeing this like interpretation of the rule that you're seeing. So it's been fun to, to go back and forth on that. Yeah, like like Seth Lehar, I'm I'm definitely a pun master and a wordplay guy. Yeah. And so I, I am always paying attention to the minutiae of the yes, wording. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to be that guy growing up, and then all of my friends were also that guy. So I kind of like by default kind of shifted back into being the guy who groans at those. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's where I've yep. stayed for most of my life. Uh, honestly, it was me. It was Seth and Jordan that really beat it out of me finally, <laughs> where I was just like, I can't be the third person of this five person group that is also making puns. I have to be uh, the person who's groaning at them. So anyway, yeah, let's let's talk about characters, shall we? Um, definitely. so in the limited experience that I have had actually like making player characters, probably the most, the the thing that comes to mind the most as of like the analysis of like the types of characters I play, I like playing wild cards and, uh, sundares. So sundare being the anime term for, uh, the person who is really, uh, thorny on the outside, but is, has a heart of gold. Uh, so right. Like but but I think primarily like feisty wild card characters who do crazy things because I I want to like be the instigator of something of like a paradigm shift. So, you know, I'll I'll be the character who like I remember playing. Um, I don't know. Do you know who, who Eric Vulgaris is? Yes, he's in the yes, yeah R- RPG scene. Yeah. Um, and long t- time ago, several years yeah. ago, at this point, I was on a one shot of his. Um, he he did like a rotating. I think it was a Tuesday night. Um, like one shot where people in his Discord or whatever could, uh, could sign up for a slot, and he ran like a random one shot, yeah, yeah. or had someone else run a random one shot. And I we played a a great little story game called so definitely on like the more rules light side of the RPG space um, called uh, Wreckers, I believe it was called. Um, okay. And it was, it was about being uh, on the, the coast of Wales, I think, or no, the Cornish coast. One of those um, okay. yeah, yeah. being uh, basically uh, people who, uh, when a, when a ship wrecks on the coast, go out and uh, like scavenge this, the stuff that washes ashore. Uh, cause there's a, apparently there's a whole big salt culture in the 16th, 17th century of people who did this. Um, very fun game, uh, very evocative, um, had a blast playing. Um, and I was the character who we, we were, we were, it was a family who did this and it was like one brother and me and another character played sisters. 
and you know we're, we just we go out and uh get the the wreckage and bring it back to the family um and i there was like one moment where i uh there was like i'm trying to remember the specifics of it and it's out there on youtube somewhere and someone could probably track this down but there was like a moment where we were like face to face with a guy who had like survived the shipwreck and he was like why are you stealing this stuff and like was getting angry at us and i like just shot him point blank just like it, it, none of our characters had really been like the sort of person to like jump to violence immediately but i i was going to be that person who just who shot them and then immediately after like i think i i am I'm trying i'm from fuzzy on the details but like i immediately my character immediately just like dropped the gun and went oh my gosh did i do that like just com like completely acting pretending to be someone that she wasn't like she had been controlled by a spirit or she had like act it actually had gone off in her hand yeah, yeah. pretending that she and so like i like to do those kind of twist like i'm actually a bad person and and am trying to turn it on its head and stuff uh like the um we did a one shot of D, &D at a blimey con uh the year that i went i think it was 2018 um and i <laughs> I got half the party to do, turn on each other in a mutiny and be, and basically revealed that I was like, I was an evil person the whole time and and now got two of the other people to join me to kill the other party members. And uh, so I, I, I like to do that sort of, especially in one shots where it's not as like as if I had done yeah. that in like an ongoing RPG campaign where five sessions in and I get them all to kill each other. Obviously, that's not necessarily yep. cool. Um, but in one shot, Full especially season of Terra Nullius, and all of a sudden, <laughs> exactly. Rai is dead on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, especially in a one shot, I like to be that person who pulls the trigger when no one else will. Um, to to make things interesting. So that's that's the first thing that jumps to mind for me. Uh, what about you? Um, I have a habit of being not necessarily the moral compass but sort of the the slightly well-intentioned person um and even when i make like a, a a pseudo evil character it's always um always more of the manipulator type of thing rather than like straight up bad guy mm. um and, and usually I portray it in a way where it's not quite clear that they're being just being a manipulator. Um, uh, the the one that comes things that come to mind is that I love playing diplomacy characters uh, and then using the logic of whatever creature we're encountering in, to turn it to to like twist it into being on our side or pretending that we're fine with it. Um, for instance, I. I there's the um, uh, like Grung with their different color system. Yeah, um, love it when you go meet Grung and then you just turn yourself yellow and then you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're important within society. Uh, but yes, yeah, things things like um, being like the I I like being the social character, and in real life I tend not to be the social character. Uh, I'm I'm very good at being social when i'm not being me mm, if that yep. makes sense yep. so talking up the front um like giving an actual teaching segment not yep. me but as soon as i'm a character in a random play then 
I can yep. put on the silly voices and be do all the silly things. And yeah, I think I think what it is for me that is I'm good at being mean, but only when I'm not me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm good at being an absolute horrible person who inflicts human suffering when I'm not me. <laughs> yeah, I think think basically you and I have different teaching methods, mm. if that makes sense, uh, especially as DMs. Yeah, whereas like you're, um, you you very much like to show things how things go wrong, mm. um. Like if you, especially like biblically, is if you go things against the Bible, things deteriorate fast. Sure. Um, generally, how I've, or my experience has always been, is I like showing how things work if you do go the biblical way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so we've basically got flip sides of the yeah. same coin. Yeah, yeah. The one short story I've actually like, like I guess the. Well, I guess both short stories are about this. Uh, the two short stories that I've released are basically that. It's just, it's from an evil character's point of view, and it shows them being a bad person and then getting what's coming to them <laughs> by the end of the story, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I I am a sucker for that kind of story, um, especially when it's, like, slightly bittersweet, too, where you, like, wish they would have, like, come to good by the end, but they still don't. Like, at the last moment, they reject it, and then they still, and then they die, yeah. and, like, oh, mm, that pulls my heartstrings. Uh, so yep. I like doing it to other people too. <laughs> I I am very much the happy ending guy in stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you're more flexible than that. Yeah. Yep. I. And yeah, I, I don't know. It just I like putting characters through the ringer. Uh, we've mm-hmm. kind of transitioned to GM talk about this for a little bit, but yeah, I I like I like pushing because I I think Burning Wheel is probably the thing that. Uh, especially push me into this mode of jamming um, because Burning Wheel is all about looking at a character's beliefs and trying to challenge them with them uh, either by putting obstacles in their way to like to accomplish the thing or by showing them how their belief is wrong and they need to change it right or, or like here's a consequence by believing this you could also cause this uh, and then it pushes a character either to double down on who they are or to change because they don't like who they are right and that philosophy is how i approach characters uh is yeah right like how far can i push them before they reveal who they truly are <laughs> um and some and, and a lot of times i get to push i, I get to push characters into evil <laughs> right because yeah. uh the the players are like understanding their characters and they're like oh no he would do this you're right <laughs> like uh like one of my favorite moments in all of my RPG history, and I don't know if you listened to this season, but I assume assuming you did. Uh, Chrome Quizzer season two. Um, I, I I I'm hesitating on the Chrome Quizzers. I'm yeah. I'm wanting to go with the podcast. Rather okay, than the, all right. Well, I won't reveal this then. There's a there's a, a character in season. Oh, I'm two. fine with spoilers. So. Like I will literally look up the end of a movie or a series. Okay. series. All right. All right. So well, I'll, right. I'll, I'll, it might be more fun to watch it unfold, knowing it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, Statues of Limitations is probably passed on us because it's been on the YouTube channel for forever. Um, Chrome Quizzer season two, Trevor Sigmund's character, uh, Sergio. Uh, right. He's this peaceful monk who's lived out in the woods for his, his for most of his life. Um, and he comes back to civilization and he just wants to make the church a better place. Right. <laughs> and I keep pushing him. I say. How do you make the church a better place? Here's a way you can make the church a better place. Kill the dude who's in charge of it, right? <laughs> and I, I eventually push him to do just that, right? Uh, okay, to yeah. to use violence to to murder the guy who's been pulling the strings, uh, imprison the the real pope, become the the pope, 
and take over the church by force, basically. And because that will make the because you know, Sergio, you know the right way to make the church a better place, right? And it was it's one of my favorite moments because like it was so like I I pushed him so far at, at every turn, like he was he was trying so hard to do the right thing, like Trevor Trevor was as his character. And he kept failing the roles that would have like allowed him to do that. And so he kept being offered alternative solutions that were much easier, but were bad. (laughs) And he ended up having to choose one of those because none of the other options panned out. And he felt like he was trapped. And he's like, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to just kill someone. Uh, And it was glorious. (laughs) Yeah. The the other thing that I think um, uh, shows a bit of a difference is... uh, when I was going through Lavender Shadows, mm. um, you have Vivian and she's got two blokes and both of them aren't that great. And <laughs> yeah. so it's it's like choosing the lesser of two evils. Uh, and then with um, Alyssa currently in our mm. text game, mm. um, she's got about four different options and all of them are pretty nice, <laughs> uh, except for the one that she actually like circles up and wanted to be the one she was initially lacking. Mm-hmm. And he's a trash bag. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, no, you can't do this, but yeah, have some wonderful options. Let's see. Wh- what do you actually prioritize in yeah. a relationship? Yeah. Yeah. I- I'm like the friendly question asker and you're the interrogationist. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're talking about we below. Um, uh, uh, or for Alyssa, no, my it's for for Alyssa. I'm talking about in um in my text game, the one I'm running. Oh, oh, is got it. Where yes, I'm offering yes. all right, these right. Options. Okay, that makes sense. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Sure. Yep. <laughs> of course. And then Car- Carly and what's his name in Love and the Shadows. But yeah, we're we're <laughs> basically we both have different ways of asking questions, and it's it's interesting to see the different approaches. Mm-hmm. But it's all trying to find out okay what is your character what yeah. do they prioritize yeah. what yeah show what me like i want to know and i yeah. want you to know like for sure uh and and find mm-hmm. that out as we play yeah yeah and and honestly like i i i definitely want to also try to give the other options too like the the way that you do it as well because sometimes i feel like i can probably go too far especially l- listening back to like chrome inquisitors uh uh you know and i'm, I'm uh what is it, episode four i th- episode three or four where um they have i make the the blacksmith uh yeah everything that happens with the blacksmith right like just yeah. he he yep. ends up being in the cru- crux of everything and constantly having bad things happen to him uh and so yep. and, and josh uh, and the smoke th- just is automatically <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah josh vincent yeah. um you know asks like why are you like why are we doing this to this poor man and i was like because it makes the story more interesting and like i heard hear myself say that and i'm like it doesn't automatically make the story more interesting just to have bad things happen to a person like i don't i don't no. think i agree with that uh but caleb in the past did so i'm starting to try to pivot a little bit away from that because yeah. I think you can't go too far in that direction and just like have bad things happen for the sake of bad things happening. Um, but yeah, I th- I'd say that's probably there are a lot of benefits to the burning wheel. Like I I like the system of the burning wheel. I, th- I think one of the things that um, it encourages that I find I'm hesitant to dive in fully mm-hmm. is the. Um, in, in Burning Wheel, it basically encourages you to have consequences for everything. Mm-hmm. But like, if you make a roll, there has to be a bad consequence. Mm. 
Um, and often, yeah, and often the it doesn't like it, it makes sense that you could fail this attempt, but for there anything beyond, you just don't get what you want. Sometimes, like for most most of the time, it's more interesting for something to come yep. from it. And there are other times where it seems like at this point, if I'm punishing you further and just not letting you have what you want, it seems a bit excessive. Yeah. And yeah, there are definitely points where that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Which, which is like, I think there are there are certain points where Burning Wheel, like, implicitly implies that there's like there isn't anything more that, that bad that should happen. Like for the health test that you make when you grit your teeth, for mm-hmm. example. Like, they, I think he could have said, you know, like, yeah, and if you fail this health, test, but like the the game is brutal enough, and Luke Crane was like, no, 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 you can just get to make these health tests whenever, and it's they're free and it's fine. Um, which yeah like i think it's like a luck save exactly right it's just like can you do it no okay you're fine um yeah 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 there's definitely moments where um a good impulse can uh be the wrong impulse in when you're trying to gm something like that yeah it's like Mm. i i feel like i need to add something worse happening but sometimes you don't um yeah let's let's get back to characters a little bit here um yep uh so why like what's what's the kind of process you use to like work out uh like personalities and voices and um like trying to trying to feel out a character uh when you're making one yeah usually i will find uh either a gimmick or a mechanic in the system and that'll be and then i build the character from that and then the personality based on that usually it's the gimmick personality then character um so there is a certain element to which i will i will definitely min max that gimmick Mm, yeah um but it doesn't tend to be for purely mechanical benefit if that makes sense yeah um there is the character i have played in pathfinder when i play it um is a rat folk called Waddle Shatoki. And his whole deal is he's a scold. And the actual mechanical like class that I've given him and the the feats and stuff I've given him don't make him the best scold that he could be. But they do buy into as much as possible this idea of being a spirit summoner and talking to his ancestors. Yeah. And so I will often take feats that don't really do anything for me but you know like the fact that i can yell out and have my allies not kill the enemies this encounter doesn't necessarily help me in almost any situation <laughs> but the fact that my character has that says something about him yeah 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 and and, and it buys into the thing because i mean the feet literally says you, you call out to your ancestors and they stabilize them or what have you and so anything and so i would i would look literally go into the, i've got hero lab the character creator thing mm-hmm. and i just search in the feats ancestors yeah. and <laughs> find everything that's related to that and say yeah. yep that's yeah. him yeah that makes sense he'll aim for all those things but yeah a lot of my characters are yeah, either a gimmick or a mechanic that i'm interested in um or a um, sometimes it extends to a tiny bit of law, like if it's a, a setting, then I will go for a specific bit of, bit of law that I'm wanting to explore, and then build mechanics around finding that out. Yeah, 
That makes sense. Yeah, I think I think my usual go-to is I need to be the person who is contrasting all the, the other people. Um, so I'm usually the person if I've if I'm ever like playing actual D D or whatever, right? I'm the person who's like everybody else pick. I'll be what you guys aren't, uh, right? Like I'll be the cleric if no one wants to be the cleric. I'll be the whatever because I I I don't I usually don't have a preference uh, for that sort of thing. Um, but I I am interested in how my character can relate to the other characters. And I can only know that once their their characters are made. Um, so usually, and, and I feel like that's probably just because I'm a perpetual GM and that's usually how I think of everything, right? It's like, I'm, I'm always reacting to what they're doing. Uh, and so typically it'll be like, um, we did a session of bonds uh, a few months ago with um, Jason and Andrew from uh, the Discord. And uh, we were all in prison uh and trying to like escape this prison and i was like a swords master and uh i i was the guy who immediately like was the dark brooding type who didn't like anyone because the other two characters were like like they were working together and they were happy to be uh, like helping each other get out of this prison and i i needed to be the person who didn't like anyone and would like be the 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 the, the person who would rub everybody the wrong way um, and that's, that's typically, I feel how it, how it goes for me is I, not that I want to be, cause I'm not trying to be a, like a bad player and make it like a bad experience, but I, but I want it to be interesting in terms of like characterization and like, um, make it make interesting dynamic, um, not necessarily automatically being antagonistic, but having something that will like contrast or, um, kind of shift the, the dynamic, the paradigm in another direction. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I I can certainly get that because um a lot of mine my characters end up being um I'll use mo MOBA terms for a second. I, I tend to be build a carry and then use it as a support. <laughs> <laughs> because usually as long as my character has like a the substance to it, mm -hmm. usually that I find that easier to adapt with. Because um, if no one else is actually going for the lead or what have you, I can like give the gem someone to have a story with and start roping in the other characters. And if someone else has a story beat that the gem's leading on, then I can still be a good support. Yeah. I've found a lot of mine tend to be, because I'm focusing on the gimmick more than them as a, uh, yes, I want to be the main character. Then it makes it easier to like take a back seat and not be too worried about story elements because yeah, I can I can play my gimmick wherever I am. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I I also like playing haunted characters. I think um like uh my character in Orphans of the American Dream uh playing me um was like a PTSD ridden survivor of the apocalypse, and I loved being that that that's one of that's probably the longest running campaign i've been a character in uh because we played mm -hmm. several many sessions before we made that uh a streamed thing and the, the just having having fun playing with uh, a version of myself that was all of my extremes all of my characteristics taken to their extremes um where uh and, and thinking about like a character who i mean it's it goes into the the classic thing that i do of being the instigator right i'm the person who will snap 
and shoot someone in the face because PTSD or whatever, right? Um, but but also being uh, the person who who's like troubled and haunted and has has a dark past, but doesn't. I I usually try not to do it in such a way that's like it's a cliche, um, but I I try to do it in a way that's just going to put weight on whatever my character does where like he'll he'll be a normal person he doesn't he's not going to like not do things that he needs to do or um you know bog the story down by you know uh, wallowing in inaction um but all of his decisions seem much more weighty because you can sense that uh there there's a reason he do, he wants to take this particular course of action and it's because other courses of action in the past have failed him or or something along those lines um yeah trying to think of anything else about that character that like kind of nails down who i play as a character but i am i'm not thinking of anything um yeah i guess characters who have lost something is is a is a good fallback for me um because it gives them um Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to like an, an aversion or yeah, uh, yeah, like automatic kind of like uh, reasons to react to certain things in a way that like we'll understand as audience members or players. Like, oh yeah, of course he has baggage. <laughs> there's there's stuff that's like going on under the under the hood here. Um, but also I typically like figuring out those things as I play too. Like. If if we were gonna continue the like sor- master swordsman who doesn't like anybody character, um, I would keep coming up with reasons why he is the way he is, right, and slowly reveal that as as I figured it out. And and you know, at one point where the characters are having a showdown uh, and having an argument about something, I'd be like, you know, my wife died, and that's the reason that you know, reveal like something that would kind of inform what has already been happening. Um, that's what I like to encourage in players too is not to come up with something. Um, uh, you know, yeah. not not to come up with too much backstory beforehand. Um, and let the characters take shape on their own. Um, because then you end up coming into the problem of like uh, the level one D and D character who's slayed a, slayed a dragon in their past and then dies from an orc. Uh, right? Like oh. where it just doesn't make any sense. Like it's much more. It's much better to let the character speak for themselves in play as opposed to, um, trying to imply that there's something that they aren't. Um when the mechanics or the the narrative hasn't actually shown that yet yeah um yeah yeah i mean that's one of the fun things especially with um i find as a dm is you you proceed through the campaign and then retroactively working out why all these things are tied together yes yes <laughs> even though at first you did not dm to be connected uh, and then uh-huh. yeah they totally are there you go yep I, th- I think I talked at uh, one point on this podcast, but that is that is pretty much how I r- do everything story now um, because RPGs have built have uh, nailed it into my brain. I've burned it into my brain that I I discovery write the first half of anything and then I outline the last half of everything. Uh, right. So, you know, Elysian Road, we just played right. Things just happened. They went on jobs. And then I was like, OK, cool. Now we need to figure out what's going on. And what are all these things that happened and why did they connect and Chloe's coming back? Okay. <laughs> right. Like stuff like that. Um, 
because I my instincts start to sh- to tell me about halfway through an arc. Okay, we've all the guns have gone on the mantelpiece. Now they need to be fired one by one so that we there's a a, a full circle. There's there's a, a narrative cohesion here. Um, and yeah, it is it is really fun, especially because they're streamed. Right, I can listen back through. And like make notes to myself and be like, oh, hey, I did that thing. I need to take note of that because they won't remember that probably. But I remember that now. And if anyone watches this or if anyone remembers what happened, it'll all tie together really nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it reminds me of the, the last campaign I ran before the one I'm running currently. Um, throughout the entire um, game we had always referred to like the the gods as the 12 um but i was using the fourth edition pantheon Mm-mm. which well as basis not as the whole hog sure. i've adapted of course but i was using the fourth edition pantheon and there are 11 and so we went through the entire thing and i mean it was relatively early on that i figured i could one know what the 12th is um but Throughout the entire campaign, there's like the 12th, the 12th, the 12th, the 12th, the 12th. And, and then it's only right at the end where they're like, okay, there's like this prophecy that says like, let loose the dog of war, uh, which it, they find out is like ancient Sylvan. And actually the, some of the words are reversed. So it's actually meant to be God of war. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so then they're like, oh, wait. And so they then they, of course, they work out the, the 12th God. But. It's only then that they realize, oh, wait, we've been calling them the 12th this entire campaign, and we just never twigged that there wasn't 12 of them. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, and that would be the sort of thing that, like, an actual culture would do, like, where they just say the 12 because everybody says the 12, and nobody really thinks through the fact that, like, wait a second, there, we have an actual pantheon, and there's only 11 of them. Who's the 12th? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's, like, for everything else, it's, like, well, it makes sense. There's 12 fey lords, and there's mm-hmm. 12... Um, evil demigods and there's 12 go- wait we never noticed that there were only 11 of these yeah. what happened yeah. to that 12 one that's yeah. funny so, yeah um, I'm just, I, I, I made a list of all the characters I could remember playing yeah 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 go for it and I'm I'm looking at all the gimmicks that I've gone through and it's <laughs> it's extensive because um, let's see the first two were pretty standard, right? They were just like there was a, a crossbow fighter and uh, there was a bard guy and simple things like that. And then, uh, basically, from then on, all of them are gimmicks. Uh, even the one shot ones are gimmicks, mm-hmm. um, apart from Watson, of course. Watson mm-hmm. was just Watson Moore was the result of dice. So, in a way, that's like not just another gimmick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have. Uh, I had a sorcerer whose all his things were pretending it wasn't sorcery. Um, he would pretend it was um, like uh, what's it called. I got that new class, the like the arcanist kind of one, the one that builds things. Oh, artificer in five E. Yeah, he basically built fake artificer stuff to <laughs> pretend he wasn't pretending a mage. Wasn't, yeah, because yeah. his like, and of course justified it with all these other things like his mum was afraid of magic and blah 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 blah. so you know retroactively um justify all of it there's the the rat guy who is all about spirits um 
I had a, uh, a Yuan T who whose whole thing that we would pretended to be a skeleton um, with the mask of many faces. He just pretended to be a skeleton the entire time. Um, there's get out of that, which is your yep, one where his yep. whole gimmick is he doesn't attack anyone. Uh-huh. Um, the gods smite his enemies for him. <laughs> yep. I, I had a similar Kenku called Oi stuff off. Uh, <laughs> His 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 whole thing was that he was just possibly the most peaceful little Kenku bean that you've ever seen. He was always like trying way too hard to help other people. Um because he, he'd fallen through the roof of a wizard's tower and the wizard had decided that this was definitely the raven familiar that he summoned and <laughs> definitely not a Kenku. That's funny. And so he he basically had this whole fascination with death. Um uh, that he had, uh, where are we? I'm trying to find them. Yeah, there's um Saris, of course. His yep. He 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 actually didn't have as much of a gimmick to begin with, mm-hmm. and then he's just become more gimmicky as time went on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has he has several gimmicks. I feel though, like he has several things. Yeah. That he he consistently draws on. Um. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hundred percent honesty. Yeah. Uh, those kind of things. Always yep. a, always doing astrology. Mm-hmm. Um. Always talking astrology. Yep, yep. Uh, and then Josa is well, basically, like you said, we've we've lost both our faith and weirdness characters. So, yep, yep. hello, faith and weirdness. So, uh-huh. just pump those things. Um, and then, yeah, I had a half a dozen. A lot of my one shot characters tend to be um, based around being helpful. Um, because I got um, what's it called Henry Smitherson, uh, yeah, who yeah. was like uh, the the weird alchemy guy who had a um, bag full of anything you could ever want, yep, any little creature he needed. Um, and the other the other one I had I had a guy named Urusarspra, who was um when we played Wrath and Glory, the Warhammer forty k system, mm-hmm. um, because I roped one of my forty k loving players into running that. So he was basically a tech priest because nice. I find myself liking tech priests. <laughs> um, but then uh, the other one that I can remember is um, another Henry, a Henry Emerson. And I played him in a one shot that one of my players ran of fate, fate core. And the his the only thing he was built for was because um, mostly my players aren't Christians, mm. and so uh, one of my players wanted me to play a character that was essentially treated faith like I would do in real life, mm. and so I made Henry Emerson, who was like the local super young pastor who hadn't got married yet, and everyone was <laughs> sus of him because he, <laughs> you can't be a young minister and not. That's have funny. a wife what is this the old like the 1920s kind of right right uh arrangement so yeah I, I we we were doing like a call of cthulhu sort oh, of okay yeah themed and he was just he, he was the local minister and just bought into that as hard as possible i think the even even the thing that um even the the feet that may not have been like something I've seen done in real life ended up being as seen in real life mm. uh, because I, I essentially had a stunt that said that I could attack 
creatures with um just talking mm-hmm. uh if they were like um extraterrestrial like they okay. they weren't natural creatures mm-hmm. so you know the power of christ compels you you can yeah, yeah, actually yeah, drive yeah, yeah. the fourth of, of course, of course only yeah. the, the way it got narrated was i just clouded the guy over the head with the books so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were so words even involved that at least the word yeah. involved yeah it's uh, sharper than a two-edged sword uh, kind mm-hmm. of a blunt instrument but i'll take it yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't have a really long list of characters that I played. We've gone through most of them at this point. I mean, Caleb uh, from Orphans of the American Dream is my longest running one. Um, I've played a couple. Mostly, it's just like one shots, right? Like, and even 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 beyond that, I don't think I can't think of another character I played for more than like one session, even this point. Because we've done plenty of one shots, but where I've gotten to be a player. But I'm trying to think because David hasn't actually run like a campaign. Yeah. Um, Connor. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. We uh, we did a couple of Mistborn campaigns where Connor was the DM. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we yeah, played the Mistborn nice. Adventure game um, off stream in 2015 or something, 2014, 2015. Um, and I played a coin shot in there. Uh, whose nickname was coins <laughs> very uninspired i don't know um and his thing was he was probably the most one of the most i i i i feel like i can't think of a lot about him that was like stereotypically characters i make because he was maybe so early on uh maybe i started the 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 trend after, I probably started the trend of doing this after Bernie Wheel, honestly, um, being the kind of instigator of things. Um, I remember he was mainly just a guy who shot coins and wanted to be. It was just me wanting to be a cool coin shot, really. Right. Like that's that was the yeah. extent of it. The The most interesting thing about the character probably was like that me and Jared were. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. It was me when me and Jared are players together, things get kind of wild um, because because we both have that instinct to instigate things. And so I, I can't remember coins him like individually doing anything too crazy, but coins and Mogar, uh, Jared's uh, um, pewter arm character. We got into all sorts of trouble. We would be the because we were like part of a thieves crew and uh we would just be like, yep, me and we can both handle this. We're just going to go steal ATM from one of these like noble houses. Uh, it'll be fine. Like we'll get, we'll do it. And Connor was like, no, this is a terrible idea. Don't, what are you doing? Uh, and he was just like, okay, I'm going to throw everything they have at you. And we still got out of there with the ATM safe and everything. And mainly because of the way the system worked, because uh, pewter arms were like ridiculously overpowered in that in that system. Uh, they, they're, they're completely broken. There's no reason to play anything else but a pewter, but a pewter arm or a Farukamist, uh, one of those two. Um, Mistborns are incredibly weak, <laughs> uh, comparatively, yeah. which is funny. Um, but we got we we did a lot of crazy shenanigans uh, together, um, and I ended up becoming God in that world. Um, by the end of it, I ended up taking the well of ascension and ascending to godhood. So uh, that was a whole thing. Managed to beat him out on that. Usually I know, I know. Stuff. Usually it's Jared who does it, right? Yeah. Um, Goodness. So I, I got to do that, and then we played 
the second campaign we did, which was streamed, but I think I have it private on my channel now because I, I don't know. It, it's so niche that I don't think anyone would ever understand it. Um, because it was not only did we completely change like with the first Mistborn campaign we played, not only did we completely change all the canon, but then we were playing a sequel campaign that was also had this changed canon and we hadn't streamed the first campaign. So no one could know yeah, no what we changed. So changes, I was just like, yeah. this is just so out of left. Like it, it doesn't make any sense to keep this on the channel. Um, but I was playing a still one of my favorite characters I've ever played uh, in terms of like uh, mechanics of it, because um, I got to be a twin born who had um, uh, Electrum and Zinc. Uh, so sh she could see uh, her own future and see when people were going to get like attack her. Right. Uh, and she had zinc so she could increase her mental speed to ridiculous levels. And so one of my favorite moments in any RPG, like there are only a few moments that I have like this because I've only been a player uh, so many times, but uh, was someone sniped uh, uh, a friend or uh, an NPC we were trying to like get on our side or something. Um, and I tapped a bajillion like charges of zinc analyzed the trajectory of the sniper shot and then perfectly lined up the shot to just like nail him right between the eyes um which is the sort of thing that's just really fun to do when you like have the mechanics uh to, yeah. to like pull off a feat like that as a character so that that sort of thing for me is really fun when um so like when, when was, the gimmick works when the gimmick yeah. works yeah uh and and for me like something like that or like burning wheel um having like if I, if I was to make a burning wheel character, I'd either do, I have made one burning wheel character and, the, and he was a, like the, the guard of the princess that Carly was, was playing. We, we were going to do like a play by post thing with David as the GM. Uh, and we did like one round of it and one scene of it and, and never went anywhere. But, um, that was a fun character to play. And his main thing was just like intimidation. That was his gimmick. Um, it's just being the, the bodyguard who intimidated everybody. Um, but if I was to to make another burning wheel character, I would probably want to be like an enchanter or something because I would want to like try to like the 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 um make a magic ritual thing happen cycle in the burning wheel is really fun to me, uh where you have to like 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 Rodolph at the beginning of Weave Below was like I need to make a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and he is still very far away from making a hammer but like every step in the process has just been really fun uh right like okay i gotta i gotta practice and get better over here i gotta get this particular trait from this particular thing over here and because of the setting that we're in it's really hard to get that trait so we have to go over here and and then finally making the cool magic item that would be a really fun thing i think to me yeah. uh for for Brittany will or, or like being like a sorcerer in like the standard uh thing and like finally learning the really powerful spell uh that could that could be fun yeah so so the characters itself what's your approach to making npcs yeah npcs um typically it's reactionary um there will definitely be a, be a stage where no i feel like it's pretty much always reactionary because even when i like we're starting out a game it's always I'm never making characters first, right? That I'm, I'm, the players are making their characters, and then uh, we'll we'll they'll have a relate like if it's Bernie Will, they'll have a relationship that I have to burn up, and I'm like, okay, well, cool. Uh, we also know that this character exists because of the setting we set up and how we set up the game. Well, I need to make him, and then from there, as we just go, I just have to keep 
generating characters and it's just all reactionary. It's just all, what does this character need to be and how can they be different from the character, from a similar character we've seen before? Um, mm. so like, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of an example here. Um, I I've, I've in the past tried to do a lot of voices, but I, I had, I had a walking pneumonia in 2016 and, and then I had COVID and those two things together have kind of ruined my voice, my voice, uh, to the point where it really does not go well for me. If I try to do like any sort of, uh, non-natural voice for any length of time, uh, I just end up like coughing, uh, too much. And so typically my voices just end up being like more articulate versions of myself, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Just like that's how they speak. Um, and I'm trying to think of, of anything else really that comes to mind. But yeah, mainly it's just reactionary, right? It's it's like, what what is this character? How can I challenge this person? Uh, how, how can I challenge this character with who this person is? Um, how can they inform us of who the player is, uh, who the who this player character is? Uh, how, can, how can they compare contrast? How can they be a good foil? Uh, for what's going mm -hmm. on, um, whether as a villain or or an ally. Um, and a lot of times, I guess, if it's not that, it's how can I show off something in this setting that I haven't been able mm -hmm. to show off yet, right? Like uh, a lot of times, especially for like maybe season three of Death and Madness, for example, um, like someone like Cytus, where I'm like, um, this is, uh, it's based on Avro's whole thing with the prophecy book and stuff. Um, but I also want to reveal to the players the deeper stuff that's been going on behind the scenes and have a, have a chance to kind of reveal that stuff. So characters who are like that, who know stuff about the setting, who either, who either know stuff about the setting and can reveal it in fun and interesting ways that doesn't seem like just blank exposition uh, or characters who are a fundamental part of the setting in a, an interesting way that reveals something yeah. about it. Um, so like any of the characters in uh, like Terra, uh, Terra Nullius that, like any of the um, uh, cult of the dying flame, uh, all of those characters were, uh, you know, about like how do how do this we've heard, we've heard about this cult for a long time now. How do we show all the different sides of this place? How how do we show um, the differences that they have between each other? Uh, the different ways that they can fill out the a culture that we've only kind of seen partially. Um, so that stuff kind of comes to mind. So usually it's either, yeah, a reaction or foil to another character or a uh, me intentionally being like, there's something in this setting I want to get across to the players because of this character existing um, to kind of en enrich the environment and, and stuff. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that's if it's different for you, um, but that's probably how I'd approach it. Yeah, there's there's an element to which it's similar. Um, the, a lot of it is reactionary. Um, but I feel even like if it's probably... just as you say, yeah, it's like it's even if it's a vague thing of well, well we need this, yeah, right, or we're going to become uh, a baron. Well, I'm going to need a council, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, usually, what I'll do is um, they'll need someone for something, and so I'll bring in the character, and basically, I I take whatever the the normal problem that could probably arise is and just rule that off the table. Mm. Um, so for something like uh, last campaign, one of the characters was a robot, was a warforged. Okay. And 
he he became the ambassador uh, and they were trying to gain political clout and so they um, married him off. They married the Warforged <laughs> off. I didn't uh, think about that for a second. <laughs> yep. And so, I mean, the, the, the of course, the, the standard thing would be, of course, to have that the um, the person who is now roped into marrying this robot is mad because they're getting married to a robot, and yeah. that's not anything helpful to anyone yeah. uh-huh. uh, apart from the tie. Yeah. Um, whereas, so so immediately I say, okay, yes, that is the standard response. That's not going to be an option. Uh, and then find some other reason for why there would be still something interesting about it, mm. um, which isn't that, uh, which ten- ended up being basically I, I built an entire character about this person who couldn't have children anyway mm. and so had built their entire life around being useful in other ways and then, of course, got married to a robot and that wasn't a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this this is a difference Which, between you and me because I probably would have immediately been like this person yeah. loves the idea of being married to a robot and it's actually probably concerning <laughs> like that would be usually the place that I would go because it makes it uncomfortable for the the robot character right <laughs> yep no um, but yeah so I, I they ended up having a whole bunch of things come from that because um, of course the the robot who is called prototype number key zero, <laughs> i.e. Pino key zero. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I hate it so much. It basically, <laughs> his, his, his arc was becoming a real boy. And, <laughs> and, and so uh, basically they, they had a whole bunch of interesting like quests come from the, yeah, both the line of him trying to become um, like a, a, a real animate um creature and also um them like seeking a solution to her barrenness and mm-hmm. there we had like several side quests come from that um but i also just like throwing really weird things at people um <laughs> i i could i can pro- guess, probably guess that <laughs> yep, and, and provided that they're okay with it for instance uh we had the one of the other characters was a shadowfell sorcerer uh, and immediately that's, I mean, that's boring. That's just a shadow fell sorcerer. <laughs> we could go the spooky route, uh, or we could make it that she is a cookie person uh, uh-huh. made by mm-hmm. the witch in the woods. Uh, she is basically um, Gretel from Hansel and Gretel, only the witch in the woods baked Hansel and Gretel into people <laughs> <laughs> so that people, so that she could send them out and say that they stuffed her in her oven so no one would bother her. Um <laughs> And but it, but it gave quite interesting like story because then it's like well why does a cookie person have a soul when the Hansel version didn't and things like that and um I basically got a I don't have like a the the proper god of course because it's a kind of a different setting mm-hmm. but I have basically um. Yeah, I have a, a creator, a singular creator, singular creator called like he who was or he who is or he who from which all came. Basically, who he who, etc. Yeah. Um, and there's been quite a few interesting developments. Basically, showing a bit of God through 
that character mm-hmm. while not never actually claiming it is yeah. him. Yeah. Cool. And, yeah. Yeah. I, but I've oddly enough, I've found that um, uh, both my campaigns so far have had interesting themes of um, like predestination, mm-hmm. which is it's been quite interesting that I'm able to. I was able to show a bit of that, yeah, like through different characters and through different things that show that, um, the the kind of the duality of everything being planned and yet everything still being determined by your actions. So mm-hmm. like you still have accountability, but it's it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a few different things where I I, I will make the weirdest character to um fill a role. That I can. Yeah, I feel like that's that's, that's something I'm doing a lot more of these days is is creating a character to play with theme too. Um, right, mm-hmm. is something that I want to explore thematically, and so I'll be like, uh, you know, for example, um, just simple, and we we don't have a name for this person, right? But like the 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 female priestess that was in We Below, who was walking down the processional, right, S- kind of screeching incoherently, and and you know whatever. I was just like. Hmm. Uh, this religion, I want to showcase how feminism is bad. <laughs> so, right, like, uh, the, these, that's this religion and this character, and and uh, Jason immediately picked up on it because I, I don't know, I wasn't necessarily trying to be subtle exactly, but, um, that's the sort of thing that I think about too. It's like, um, you know, this is something that I think is bad and it will have consequences and and will like show itself as as being. Uh, you know, an ideology that leads to bad things. And so here's a character that can kind of show us some of that. Um, and, you know, yeah. that that character in particular is obviously just like kind of a throwaway face face in the crowd sort of thing. But but even even just the the way I describe the processional, I try to hit on that. And Jason picked it up right away, which is really fun. Uh, yeah. And then I'm glad that he did. Don't worry, they'll all be poisoned by Sarah's eventually. Uh, <laughs> good, good. Yeah, yeah. And so, right, stuff like that. Um, uh, we kind of was doing that in Lavender Shadows a little bit um, with um, the reactions uh, to and against um, Alyssa's character uh, and in contrast to um, uh, what's her face? I can't remember Carly's character in that game. Um, Vivian. Vivian, yeah. Um, in contrast between those two characters and, and the, the, like that, that campaign was a lot about like the roles that females take in a society like that and how they maybe buck against or accept them, um, which Mm. was interesting. Um, and I'm reminded of, um, what's his face in that, um, the character, uh, young Lord Kleber, Frederick Kleber. Yeah. Frederick Kleber. Um, when we were talking earlier about the way that I usually, uh, make characters as foils and things. Um, one thing that I also do is, um, try to use characters to, and we talked about this a little bit in just the way, you know, uh, challenging beliefs and stuff, but make characters that will, um, be catch 22s. Right. So Kleber was, a person who legitimately was trying to be the kind of person that Vivienne could marry. Uh, he was genuine. He actually liked her. He wanted to marry her for non-political reasons. Um, in, as well as political reasons, right? Obviously. 
Um, but he was also a product of his society and had deeply flawed views about people and how they should be treated. Um, and I like past. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I like doing that with characters because one, it shows that they're human and and they don't have to be a one one side coin uh, of just like this person is evil incarnate. Uh, but but also it challenges uh the player because they can't also treat them as as just just evil now there are certain certainly monsters and characters that should be just evil right because yeah there's also that also exists in our world um but when it's like a human person uh usually there there are more 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 there's more going on under the surface than just pure hatred for all mankind um and you know common humanity and and not you know a character having to face the fact that they uh, can't be uh, a perfect arbiter of all people's sins and whether or not they should be loved or not or whatever. Right. Uh, They have to, they have to make a decision and sometimes it won't be a decision that is clean. Uh, Right. So her deciding to go against Kleber and go with Matthias. uh, I think that's what his name was, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's been a while since I've listened to that one. Um, I, I want yeah. my goal there, right, was to show a, a legitimate legitimate choice. Now, I knew Carly was going to choose the painter all along, obviously, but I made it hard for her, right? I, I mm. made her actually have to, like, be like, I feel bad making this decision right now. Uh, you know, I feel bad having to reject this dude in this moment uh, because he's actually being nice to me. Um, stuff like that is definitely something that I'll do with a character. Um same i think i'm thinking of miggy too um where uh right like he started off just being uh obnoxious captain right and then i tried to humanize him a bit and be like he has a crush on this character right and instead of it being i i I love that Alyssa and emily and everybody else play along with it so well because they could have been like you're an absolute creep like i don't like you go away um but I try to play Miggy enough of as a two-dimensional character that it, he it wasn't easy to just dismiss him and and you have to be like okay this is a man he this man apparently legitimately is interested in me and he's not a complete buffoon there are hidden depths yep. here because he'd done the book club and all that stuff right um and and you know over the course of the whole campaign right he becomes from from obnoxious captain to a god boyfriend uh who everyone loves right that's like that was probably their favorite npc of the whole campaign um mm. and it it came originally right as being you have to have the kind of foil slight antagonist in this situation where uh you guys are the only people who can speak the same language <laughs> right uh otherwise it's just going to be uh, mindless NPCs back at camp and mindless NPCs uh, out in the forest. Um, but, you know, it can evolve from there based on um, just things that I try to pick up on in the way that players are handling things and, uh, you know, wrenches I try to throw in things just so characters can try can kind of come out of their mold, come out of their shell a little bit and be more than maybe what they appear to be, especially if we're spending a long period mm. of time with this character. It's if, if you're just seeing them one off, then it's fine if they're just showing one face because that's all you're ever going to see. Um, right. Yeah. Like the, the, um, 
what's his face? Uh, the informant or the seller of silk or whatever that Califas um, talked to in the marketplace. So maybe this is probably the only time we're ever going to see that guy. And all he, all we needed to know is he was a scumbag and was going to betray Califas, right? That's all we needed to know. I'm sure that if we mm. spent more time with him, he would be an interesting developed character. Um, but he doesn't need to be. Um, but if yeah. we are spending time with someone, then I try to double, double, th- um, double do a double take on them and, and try to come up with something new and interesting. Um, so they're not the same note every time a, a player is going to interact with them. Um, yeah. You know, same with like Keladon, for example. Uh, at, at some point I had to decide it, according to his beliefs and instincts, right? When was he going to bend, right? He mm-hmm. wanted to... <laughs> not he wanted to stay away from the throne because he didn't want to jeopardize his ideals he wanted to you know whatever but there came a point where he had to and what was that point and that kind of tells us something about the character and, and gives him more depth and stuff so yep it's jealousy he couldn't <laughs> stand her. yes 100 <laughs> jealousy the, the, the bluest robes could indeed steal indeed yeah, yeah. no the, the, probably one of my favorites npcs that has had an impact is um, at the at the start of that last campaign, there was uh, an NPC called Goal, and he, the the only reason he existed was because there was there needed to be a couple of police dudes to help with being guards later on, <laughs> um, and so they were they were just meant to be two random dwarves, uh, but the um, the uh, the shadow sorcerer uh, made the mistake of making a, a comment and talking to them. Terrible idea. <laughs> Never talk to an NPC if you want to get rid of them. Um, <laughs> but said, she, she basically said, uh, yeah, I'm more for there being more dwarves in the area, which, of course, the uh, the other players immediately jumped on as, oh, yeah, there she's flirting about having more dwarves and mm-hmm. she's going to contribute. Um, and at that point, um, the player basically told us afterwards um or at least further down the track a bit she'd basically at that point decided yep I'm, i have a thing it's not going to happen <laughs> no 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 it's in, not gonna happen. no okay. never gonna talk to the dwarves again but i'm that that's definitely not gonna happen it, if, if my my character gets married at all it's definitely not going to be to that dwarf yeah and then i mean from then on i was just like yep this this dwarf is going to be the sweetest guy ever yeah perfect um, yes yes and that is 100 percent what i would have done too <laughs> yep and so over the course of the campaign um basically yeah he 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 was genuine enough to actually not only win over the the character but went over the player who was dead yeah. set against it that's awesome <laughs> um to the point that one to the point that when um his kind of like backstory reason for not drinking was revealed like a dwarf that doesn't drink what mm-hmm. uh, but the, the when that reason was revealed she actually cried and nice i i we we don't do um video mm-hmm so it's like I I don't know how much my damning yeah. is affecting people, but the fact that I I know f- for a fact that I've I've definitely hit some of those emotional yeah. moments. Yeah. And getting a character like if you can build a character or an NPC that is genuine enough or realistic enough to actually elicit that kind of response from someone. Yeah. That you you've succeeded at that point. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, one of my crowning moments as a GM was making Emily cry uh, in the moment and end of season two, uh, right? Just openly sob <laughs> uh, because of, uh, and it was a character that she, we, we really only knew from like little hints and flashes here and there, right? Um, you know, a little bit of flashback here and there and, and just Emily talking about the character. Um, but Sabu, like the one, the first time I got to play Sabu, I apparently, uh, or or no, it was it was um, I guess it was Sabu, but also um, Isaac, uh, right? Uh, Isaac talking to Emily, uh, talking to Raya about having to like let go of this person. Um, both of those characters, uh, I I don't know what it was exactly about that scene that like made it work, but for whatever reason, um, just like having having the the kind of build up there and and knowing the right thing to say to like set the tone <laughs> uh set the mood in in such a way that that like you bring out uh a reaction like that is awesome um i'm trying to think uh there's something while you're talking that i i thought of um uh character wise oh oh i was I'm, go ahead go ahead no you go I, I well was i was gonna, i was going to pivot come in. i was going to pivot a little bit so go ahead Okay, I was just gonna say, just like Ang Katari didn't have to give it, she didn't have to give him up anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was gonna pivot to it was something. Oh, I know I was gonna pivot, and I'm trying to remember what direction it was gonna. Which be. direction? Yep. Um, you were you were talking about, um. Was it something to do with the cameras or no, it was it was something about like the dwarf um, uh, yeah. you were talking about oh, that's frustrating because <laughs> I thought it was gonna be good too Oof. um oh oh, I remember it was uh character death. I wanted to talk about yeah. that a little bit let's let's talk about that uh to kind of bring bring us to a close here um yeah. so. Like we, there's obviously two two different ways to take it. Um, like as a player, your character dying, and then G as a GM handling character death. Um, which one do you want to yep. tackle first? What do you think? Uh, let's go GM death first. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, in in terms of as a GM, I, I you know my philosophy that for player characters, it's much more interesting to watch them suffer than to see them die. Uh, at least mm. until they've suffered enough that the death is warranted, um, right? Yep. So, like something like Toidy, uh, for example, um, having his long arc of like trying of like almost turning to the dark side, and then, uh, well, he did turn to the dark side, and then rejects it at the last moment. Um, yeah, right. That that was the moment where he could die, right? Um, yeah. Not not to say that like we wouldn't have let him die before that though i guess i mean they had like resurrection and things that they could have could have employed um but you know we could yeah, just like things like darius coming back and stuff like right exactly in, but in there was like fashions. yeah yeah there was i mean i think uh raya maybe could have done a revivify on him but i think we said that like um his spirit got used right his soul got used to to power the ascension or whatever um or yeah darius used it to do the ritual or whatever he needed to do that's what it was um I believe that's what it was, but 
Either either way, whatever. I, oh, it's more I'm meaning in the Cobalt Cave, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Ever. No, I, so I I was yep. still thinking about Toity, but but yes. Um, yep. That that's the reason I gave uh, Darius the Devil's Bargain, though, is because mm. it didn't feel like it was time for him to actually die, die. Yeah. Um, but it was certainly a time that we could bring in this other thing that was had been totally foreshadowed and made complete sense. Um, yep. But but that's how I like to treat character deaths, e- even in a thing like D and D where like character death can just happen randomly um as opposed to like burning wheel like as long as you keep a persona point around you're gonna survive um and in like something like fight where like you basically are never going to die unless you as a player decide it's time to die um Hmm. yeah i've got a i've got a mechanic in my 5e games now which is sort of similar to the persona point um in that like you can basically automatically stabilize Hmm. um but you have to take a scar which can be anything from like you roll on the table and it can be anything from like missing an ear to a, an eye or what have you. Yeah. So yeah, because I, I like, I like keeping characters around yeah. so that the story is cohesive and makes sense. And yep. like, you don't have just a random cycle of characters, um, but then also having some actual, like this, this person has gone through the wars. Like it's not just a, a throwaway thing of, oh, you're back up now. Yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense to me um yeah for me death death in general yeah like has to happen when it makes sense uh when it when it's warranted uh when the suffering that the character has gone through is enough or the moment is shining enough right like a heroic sacrifice or something like that um you know i'm an epic fantasy guy through and through and those are the only oh, moments yeah. that characters die right is either when their narrative arc has come to a close or they are sacrificing themselves nobly um, that doesn't mean that characters can't die tragically, but it has to make sense, right? It has to it has to flow. It has to actually mean something. Yeah. Um, we, we are playing a game, but we're also making a story. We're ma- we're making a story. And so- yeah. And 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 so what I try to do is in a game like Dungeons and Dragons, um, I try to make this um, the mechanics. I try not to change mechanics. Um, I try not. I try to. I want to play the game as it's meant to be played, but try to frame things in such a way that um we can keep going even if some like the dice don't land like the way they should um and so you know for something like darius dying in the cave or um you know take dying in season one of terra invicta um two different responses were you know one being you're not dead here's a devil's bargain let's keep going the other being you are dead but we live in a world where you can pay for resurrection Let's yeah. talk about what that means, right? Let's talk about how that mm. changes you. Um, and I like the way that Terranolius and Terra Invicta are different in that way too, because Terranolius is all about like, if you're dead, you're dead. Uh, if you're dead, you something bad happens. Um, death is like a powerful force because it's all about how death is going wrong. And and if you die, mm. you don't even, if and you get res, you don't even come back because someone else comes back for you, right? That was the whole, whole thing there. And I knew that couldn't be the same in Terra Invicta. So uh, I thought of the, you know, the whole idea of like, you get the little comet thing and you're, you're important and resurrection means something. And there's like this Phoenix rising from the ashes thing that you brought up uh, as um, uh, what's his face. Uh, Uh, Get out of that. Um, Yeah. But um, so using, using death as a, Instead of, I, I never want death to just mean nothing. Um, not mm. to say that there can't be moments where someone just dies tragically. Um, 
And, and sometimes the point of a death is that it's tragic. Um, but usually those sorts of moments are few and far between because especially if it's a, especially if it's a for a player character, right? Like NPCs, yeah. they can die whenever like it, it, I, I can, I can kill them at, at any point. And if it makes sense to the story, I'll, I will do so. Um, but for player characters, especially, uh, unless we're playing something like, um, you know, uh, DCC, uh, what is it called? Um, I don't remember what the full name of it is, oh. but it's the, the one where you like start as a, like a level zero peasant and have to like gain your, uh, I can't remember the name of it. It has DCC it. in it. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, hmm. or, or something like Torchbearer or something where it's like, the point is it's a rough world. And if you die, you die. Um, yeah, which would be fine, right? Like that's, if that's the point of the campaign, but typically with D and D campaigns, it's kind of funny. Uh, no one wants to play like that. <laughs> They're like, no, yeah. no, no. We want to have the Epic quest and all the characters to, you know, make it through to the end and be able to be level 20 and all that stuff. Uh, which is funny because D and D really doesn't want you to do that unless you have a much enough money to pay for resurrections. Um, it's, just, mm. it's amusing to me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I've, I've kind of rambled about death the, now here, but the, yeah, I, I also think that, there should be some mention of um, characters bowing out when they didn't die. Um, mm. I don't think I've like in in, that, in an actual long running campaign. I don't think I've had a character die like a PC die that I can think of. You, they'll get close, but they they usually got enough to juice them through. But I had this this latest campaign we're doing now had. Um, basically, they're all racing to get to the bottom of a, a big dungeon, and basically get to the the very bottom. And the first person gets there becomes a demigod, or at least so the legend goes. And so we've we we had a pretty consistent party for the most of the campaign, and we get to this room um, because each of the rooms are based on one of the cards of the deck of many things. Nice. And we get to, I can't remember which card, is it the Fates? The one which can reverse one um, reverse one event or one okay. yeah. thing that happened. And so they each get there, and the room is pretty simple. It's just you appear, uh, and there is like two doors in front of you. There's the one that says continue, and then there's one that says leave the race, because it's like hold the race. Mm. Um, and basically, if you want to leave, you can just like put your magic item that was the key to get into the dungeon uh, into a box and then leave. And um, we basically got through that. Everyone like basically did the the normal thing, and then one of the players just went, "Yeah," and said basically put the stuff in the box and left. And of course, the magic of the dungeon is that if you do that, well, basically everything goes snap, and everything's rewritten. It's as if you were never there. It's as if you were never part of the race to begin with. Yeah, like you, you, she, the the character had like a few things that you normally you wouldn't have if you haven't gone to the dungeon. But it's basically in justified in world as okay, you got these from this other thing, or you got it from from the main characters. It's just because you are assisting them as a artificer, mm. right? <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's like the f first time I think I've seen, um, or at least had a character do it in a way that was 
actually kind of made sense. Like it yeah. made sense for them to bow out because mm-hmm. you you occasionally run into someone who says, "Well, I, I, I we're at level three, and I this regularly isn't the character. I'm not enjoying it." Mm-hmm. And so you have them bow out and have a new yeah. character come in, or have them just respec or something. Yeah. But it's the first time I've had a character leave the party permanently, and in a way that not only made sense but was satisfying mm-hmm. like um and so i i i think there's it's worth a mention mm-hmm. that um as a as a player there are those opportunities like if 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 you see that you're um because a lot of the time you hear on the internet is like you, you you're trying to commit suicide essentially you're throwing your character into as dangerous yeah, things yeah. as possible <laughs> trying to get them killed so then you can have a new character uh-huh. and it's often if if you're especially if you're going out of character to do that mm. it's possible it's probably more satisfying to bow out in a dignified way mm-hmm and come in with a new character. I mean, yeah. I know there's, there's the stickler DMs that say, oh, no, you have to be a level lower or something and tell them stuff off. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah if you can, there are, there are ways to make it satisfying. Like, even if you set up, like, a few few session arc where it's, like, character finds something else that they're driven to join instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what we did. That's what we ended up doing night. for um, Nibbit. Right, um, in Lords of Hatred, um, mm. you know, Lance, Lance couldn't, uh, could, couldn't commit anymore to the to the time slot, um, and and he was like, you know, I'm gonna have to about in a couple of sessions here, and so we thought, okay, well, how's a way? What's a way that we can make it can make sense for Nibbit to like leave the story, but we keep going, um, mm. and uh, I thought it was really fun, uh, to have the whole like choose your master, uh, you know, who's gonna actually teach you? Are you gonna go with this lady? And having him choose that, and then say goodbye to the the characters and move on. Um, was a lot of fun um because it's a lot more satisfying that way than it yeah. is to just i am because because not only are you not getting a particularly interesting story related death but also it's not as impactful for the other players because they know that this is like it was on purpose yeah. like it's not, as if, uh-huh. not it's not really a like, it's not really tragic if you were trying to do it and it's not really any of these other things so it's one of the good ways to do it. Yeah, it would be really fun if a care if a player. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to me, but if a player like um, wanted to kill their character and threw them into suicide, and then they never died and just got better and better, and end up you end up loving the character because you're like, wow, they're just so reckless, and they somehow get out unscathed. Mm-hmm. That can be a whole thing, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, but for like NPC death for me, um, you know it's as I as usually as it's reactionary like if a character has failed a role a very important role and there's you know their friend is at stake and that's usually a great time to have a character die uh have an npc die um, to kind of show the consequences of failure and to kind of give um some more weight to decisions that the players are making and especially if it's like multiple roles have led to this moment and this is like important and you failed and yeah, like it, it means something at that point to, to kind of go out uh, or have the NPC go out. Um, and then also, also I tend to do it when NPC casts just get too large. <laughs> uh, sometimes when, when there's just too many characters and it doesn't really make sense to have them stick around anymore. Um, 
it can be a good way to just like raise the stakes a little bit and winnow the the especially if you're playing a game where combat is like really a focus um you know yep. winnow the the list a little bit get a couple of the, the npcs that have kind of run out their usefulness out of the picture uh raise the stakes because you're you know hey death is a thing people are dying um that that can be a way to go about it obviously you don't want to do that in such a way that it feels cheaper or un, unwarranted mm. um like uh elysian road last last um uh, i guess it was season the end of season two uh we had uh crawl's crew uh slowly go out one by one um and i didn't do it like intentionally per se um but there came moments where like bad fails happened and i was like this is a character that can go um and i slowly like went from least important to most important as roles were failed like characters dying um so that we could get the sense of like impending doom because who you who you you know you could be next but but actually raise the stakes very slowly uh as le- uh, more important characters were getting off in this dangerous situation um yeah and, and but, but it was fun because their their narrative arcs had ended right like we had um yeah uh i was thinking it was ada she didn't really have an arc at all so she she was an easy one to just be like you're you know you can be the dead guy the the person who dies and then kiana uh had just gotten her moment of like narrative whatever uh as her her son was basically gonna go insane and die anyway so might as well have her die as well in the the tragedy of the whole situation because there wasn't really anything like if she had stuck around it would have just been like oh no my son died i'm depressed and like she's not gonna be useful the rest of the game might as well just have her die and that would be like more sad and uh fit the consequences of like the dangerous situation that everybody was was kind of in at that moment so those are those are things that i've i've done in the past um death wise um trying to think if there's anything else that comes to mind as uh like a a reason to kill an npc but yeah i've been fortunate in a lot of mine where usually it's not not a bunch of people tagging along with them mm, like yeah. oh there'll be npcs in towns or npcs as part of the council and then of course if if they're it's a bigger cast and people are um like no one's consulting them well they're just busy with council work and it's not really a problem so i don't think i've had any things where i've like the cast has gotten too big that i had to kill them off i don't think i've got killed off too many i've killed out a, off a couple um and i've had others leave but usually for a reason I'm trying to think if there's one that i can remember off the top of my head that i've done i can i can very but often yeah, mainly it's it, usually there's good you go well i was just gonna say i, I very uh, often yeah, try usually to... the <laughs> i think we have a delay <laughs> <laughs> i think so yeah you 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 go you go <laughs> uh get yeah, no usually my the Usually the deaths of NPCs will make sense um, based on roles. Usually, I don't think there's ever really too much of cause to do it without one unless you really have to push for something, like unless you're making some serious story beat. And even then, I think there's always, I don't think there's a reason to kill them off without. Like even if it's a narrative thing where like the the big bad is a big big bad and you're trying to prove it so you'll kill off someone mm-hmm. there should always be a role to try and save them yes yes if yeah 
Yeah, yeah, and, and, and especially in, especially in something like D anD D, because there are like actual like very clear mechanics about that, about like how that works and how it can work at least if you wanted to, um, as opposed to something like um, like Fate, uh, where you can just I mean, you're kind of it's kind of at your discretion how those things or like Apocalypse World or or something like that where it's it's all very kind of up in the abstract uh, whether someone dies or not. Um, yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, the thing I was going to mention is um, often what I'll try to do, uh, and this goes back to like the whole challenging beliefs and all that stuff, is make it so that a player has to kill an NPC, <laughs> right? I get them to kill them all for me, um, where I'll either, you know, show them to be more complex, complicated, uh, you know, more um, uh, of a problem than they were initially or. Uh, I mean, it's the, you can you can do the classic NPC betrayal, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, show, showing those are all those can be good moments to push a character to see how far they're willing to go to challenge a belief. If you, you know, put an NPC uh, in their way uh, and, you know, there might be a reason to keep this person alive, but, you know, you, you know, maybe they're evil or maybe they're whatever. And you you you, you get to make the choice now. Right. Right. Are you going to kill them or, or not? Um, you know, something like uh, Chrome Quizzer season one comes to mind where Cantarius uh, had the whole like the doctor who got sick and, you know, Cantarius told him, go off yourself. You're going to get everybody else sick. And he, he the, the doctor came back to him is like, you were right. I need you to kill me like this is my penance. And it was like this weird kind of situation where like all the characters were like, are we going to do this? Like, what is it actually? What's the right decision to make in this circumstance? Should we kill him because it's a mercy or is this bad or like uh, and the characters all got to like discuss that. Um, so those are always fun for me uh, to kind of give give them a choice as to whether or not an NPC lives or dies and maybe give good reasons on both sides um, and then finally have them make yeah. the decision and kind of show us who they are by by that decision as well. Um, so that's always fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we've. I didn't have anything else to, on my list, so yeah, kind of come to the end here uh, of the discussion. But uh, thanks for coming on, Josh. That was a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of. Um, it, it is very Not funny. Wrong. It's very fun, especially to kind of analyze our different GMing styles. Um, so. Uh, I, I think I kind of forgotten that you were you're also kind of the perpetual GM uh, for your for your group back in there uh, there in Australia. So um, if, like for me, you've pretty much always been player. So uh, that that's kind of the ones I I usually am viewing you through. So that's funny. Um, but mm-hmm. Cool. Well, you want to give us our outro and we'll call it a wrap. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, well, thanks for watching. And I hope you feel inspired to play more role-playing games. Adios.